Dear Heavenly Father, I invite you into my heart, my soul, my mind. I invite you into this meeting. I ask you to let me help somebody in this room, even if it's only one person. Please take away my looking good racket. In Jesus' name, amen. My name is Giuseppe, and I'm an alcoholic. I'd like to thank Patrick for inviting me to come down and share with you tonight. Um, a bunch of alcoholics in church on Sunday. I like that. Last, last time I spoke here was in a union hall, you know, and now I can't even cuss. Um, anyway, uh, I know we're supposed to live one day at a time, but um, how many people here sponsor people? How many know that sometimes babies are better than TV? Um, I can't wait for tomorrow because tomorrow's Monday, and I got this kid that I sponsored, and two weeks ago he, um, he came to the meeting, he had a great big black eye. So I told him, what happened? He goes, I don't want to talk about it. I said, no, what happened? He says, I'm in church. And I'm minding my own business <laughs> in a Catholic church. Now, you know, the priest, he tells us to get up, sit down. He tells us to kneel. So we're all kneeling in church, and they're all my brothers and sisters. And I noticed this girl in front of me, she got a little problem. Her skirt's kind of in the crack of her behind, so I pulled it out, and she whacked me. <laughs> I told him, don't do that again. He goes, you know what, never. I learned my lesson. So that was two weeks ago. Last Monday, he comes to the meeting. He's got a black guy on the other side. I says, what happened? He says, I don't want to talk about it. I go, spill the beans, what happened? He goes, I'm in church. And I'm minding my own business. Now, the preacher, he tells us to get up, sit down. He tells us to kneel. Sure enough, the same girl's right in front of me, and she has the same problem. I didn't do anything. The guy next to me, he pulled it out. I knew she was going to get pissed, so I got it and put it right back where it was. <laughs> Loosen up. You guys are making me nervous. Come on. If I didn't have fun in Alcoholics Anonymous, I wouldn't be here. Anyway, I'm here to share my experience, strength, and, and hope. I'm not an authority on Alcoholics Anonymous, alcoholism. All I know is that I just stopped here on the way to the graveyard, and I've been here ever since. As a matter of fact, when I got here, um, I wasn't even really an alcoholic. Um, I might have done some recreational drug abuse, but an alcoholic, no way. And I started thinking about it after the fog started clearing, and um, I did have a 3012, and that's 6502s, but that was bad luck. <laughs> and my, my, last, my last drunk driving was on Halloween night, 1986, and I knew I was in trouble. So I figured I better get creative. So it's Halloween night, and this cop pulls me over, and he says, uh, where the hell do you think you're going? I says, uh, Halloween party. He says, what the hell are you supposed to be? I said, drunk driver. <laughs> he says, you're doing great. He says, matter of fact, I ain't even really a cop. I'm going to the same party. Why don't you ride with me? <laughs> I don't think that's funny. <laughs> the things we do to get to Alcoholics Anonymous. Anyway, you know, I'm grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous because Alcoholics Anonymous has changed my life. Without, you guys are the difference in my life, and um, I'll be forever grateful. You know, and I don't know why I was chosen, and I don't know why you were chosen, but everybody, my belief, everybody in this room, especially me, has been given a second chance at life. A second chance at life, you know, to not only get right with ourselves, but to have, you know, hopefully our families restored. 
and you know it, it's the neatest deal because it's you know it's for fun and for free. Um, I'm not going to really talk about alcohol because you know what, um, I don't have a problem with alcohol. I don't have a problem with drugs. I have a problem three inches behind my belly button where I live. I have a problem with self. And see, when I drink and use, I don't have to be me. I could be somebody else. When I drink and use, I could shut off. And I can tell you this, there was never anything invented that can um, take me out of uh, reality and put me into the atmosphere. I would have found something else. If there was no alcohol, there was no drugs, I would have found something else to plug into so I didn't have to be with me. You know, whether it would be women, gambling, something, because I can't be with me. I didn't have a problem with alcohol all the way to the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcohol was a solution because I got to check out. I didn't have to be with me. The only time alcohol really became a problem in my life is after I crossed into these rooms. And, and, and this program, my God, 12 Steps, um, offered me a different way of living. So, you know, I really don't have, I'm grateful for alcohol and drugs because without it, I would have killed myself or somebody a long time ago. Anyway, um, you know, I've done, I've done a lot of, uh, you know, 10 steps, 4 steps to find out what happened. You know, I didn't do that in the beginning because, you know what, I was an idiot. You know, I, I like to play the game, um, you know, and um, I started searching back, searching back, and searching back, trying to find out what happened. And, uh, you know, I'm full-blooded Italian. You know, as a matter of fact, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous in, in 1987, I was wearing a gangster hat and a trench coat and driving a Cadillac that was dying of alcoholism. You know, and I didn't need Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I just was going to jail because I was a drug dealer, which I'm not going to talk about all that stuff. I was a drug dealer, and I didn't work for 15 years. Everything I did was illegal. You give a kid a name like Giuseppe, let him watch The Godfather, you know, 256 times, I found a higher power. His name, his name was Don Corleone. And uh, what happened was I got busted for possession of cocaine for sale, and I had three months before I had to go to court, so I figured I'd come to Alcoholics Anonymous. I had two friends that were already here, and I figured that um, I'd come to Alcoholics Anonymous, and for the first three months, convince you guys that I changed my life, and that by the time I had to go to court, you'd write a letter for me or have a parade saying, Giuseppe was alcoholic the other month. Please don't put him in jail. We need him. <laughs> was the only reason I came here. See, I needed AACA and NA so I could stay in LA and not have to worry about the DA. Uh, <laughs> You know, but God, God had other plans. God had other plans, and, and I didn't know that, and I've been here ever since. You know, ever since, well, I came in on July 20th, 1987, and uh, kind, of a, kind of a weird thing, you know, you walk into this uh, uh, participation meeting, and, the, you know, the room's about this big, and you've got 100 people in there, and they're laughing and joking and scratching on each other and stuff, and, I'd, you know, and then the baskets came out, so I figured it was a religious program, and I was just kind of confused. So after the, after the meeting, you know, at a... a I went and talked to my last spiritual advisor, and that was this cocktail waitress at Sugars I was going out with. And um, she says, she goes, listen, bud, she goes, you're going to be going to jail for a long time. And it goes, looks like this is your only chance. And I says, yeah, you're probably right. And I came back the next, deal, next day, made a deal with God that if he kept me, if he kept me out of jail, I'd stay sober for a year. You know, I'd learn how to sell drugs and not do them. Um, and if I made enough money, I'd buy Alcoholics Anonymous and New Alano Club. And, and that was my thinking, you know, and there's nothing wrong with the gangster hat and a trench coat, but it was the middle of July and I wasn't cold, you know. What I found out in Alcoholics Anonymous was, was that, that I was scared to death. I was scared to death and I grew up in the streets of East L.A. and Montebello and, you know, uh, tough guys don't cry. 
You know, and in tough guy, and tough guys hold their mug, and you know, you don't show feelings, you don't show emotions. But you know, I was already blessed. You know, as soon as Ron got up here and took his cake, 11 years in jail, and you know, where we come from, and I think we come from the same place. I'm assuming. You know, we don't we don't cry, we don't show feelings. But you know, my whole life, I was looking through your eyes, not mine. What did you want me to be? What did the guys want me to be? How crazy could I be? See. My whole life was an illusion because, you know, I wasn't living. I was living for you. I just wanted you guys to like me, you know. And, and now I can come up to a meeting, you know, with all these people, and I can show feelings and emotions because, you know what, God gave me those feelings and emotions. And I know that feelings ain't right and feelings ain't wrong. They're just feelings. And if I want to come up here and out of gratitude share some tears, that's a real man to me, and that's real recovery to me. And, you know, I'm already blessed. I can go home right now because I've already seen the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous one more time because it will change your life. It will, t it will take tough guy criminals, gangsters like me, you know, and turn this into mama's boys, you know, <laughs> into mama's boys. And you know what, I'll tell you something else, and I'm going to get a little ahead of, ahead of myself. I'm happy to be one of the girls today. <laughs> Takes a real man to say that shit, I'll tell you. <laughs> See, because I don't want to live my life through your eyes anymore. And I believe in the big, big book, too. And you know, if God took a rib from Adam and made Eve, that means us tough guy men who watched too many John Wayne Rambo movies and were taught not to cry had feelings and emotions. But we were taught to stuff them. Or, you know, and uh, I want to be me. I, I, I just want, I want, I don't want to, I almost died trying to be somebody. Now I'm happy just to be someone. You know, and I owe that to Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, and I'm going to start, you know, in the beginning of, you know, of my life. You know, like I said, I'm full-blooded Italian. Um, my mom was on vacation in Italy in 1957. She met my dad. They fell in love, came to America, had me. And uh, that's where the problem started. And, uh, <laughs> you know, my mom was this kind, gentle, giving lady that, you know, it was probably codependent, and, uh, but she was a typical Italian wife. Whatever my dad said, she snapped and rolled over and played dead. And, uh, you know, my dad was this good-looking, rugged Italian that was so scary that when he walked down the street, flowers would turn the other way, you know. And uh, I grew up with double messages because I always thought I was like my dad because I kind of looked like him, and I found out in Alcoholics Anonymous that I'm just like my mom, a mama's boy. You know, thank God for moms because, you know, she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. And, you know, she talked my dad, to, you know, out of bailing me out of jail. I mean, I put my parents through hell. My dad had to, had to bail me out of seventh grade because I got thrown in, almost got thrown in jail for making a bomb in electronics class. You know, and, and uh, they bailed me out of jail all the way from um, Huntington Beach to Tucson, Arizona, where I really got into trouble. You know, and thank God for moms. And, you know, and I grew up during the 60s. You know, I grew, I grew up during that peace, love, marijuana on one side, Brady Bunch, Partridge Family, Fathers, and those bets on the other side. You know, and, and my, dad, my dad was really a good guy, but I didn't know that. You know, my dad was an American. My dad was born someplace else. He, wasn't, he, was, he didn't know what baseball was. You know, he didn't, he didn't know what, you know, walking in the house saying, gee, June, I'm home. What's for dinner? Can I help you with the dishes? Uh, you know, and, 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 I, and I grew up in a neighborhood that had 147 different kids 
in I think 47 houses. I counted it one day. And, and you know, with my left, right across the street from me was All-American quarterback and his brother and their dad out there playing catch with them and, and, and showing them how to hit, hit the ball. And my dad wasn't there, well, not because he was an alcoholic, not because he was a bad dad, because, you know, he grew up in Italy during the war and, and he had the chance to come to America and provide for his family. But I didn't understand that as a kid, you know, so my dad's not there. I'm watching everything else in this neighborhood that, that, that I can't relate to. You know, I'm the short, fat, cross-eyed kid that everybody's picking on. I was so cross-eyed that when I cried, tears would roll down my back. And, uh, <laughs> and they're making fun of me. And, and you know what, I needed a drink just about then, I guess. Uh, and, and so, so I started getting, you know, zoned into that TV. And I don't know if anybody could relate. You know, I used to get like two inches in front of the TV, you know, and I used to watch Father Knows Best and Andy Griffith and Leave It to Beaver. And I wanted to be Giuseppe Brady. And I, <laughs> and I still wanted to take out Marsha Brady, too. I didn't care. I was sick all the way back then. And, 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 I, and, and I, I started fantasizing about being that. And I started, I started at an early age blaming my dad. Blaming my dad, blaming my dad, blaming my dad. You know, and uh, I blame my dad, you know, two years into Alcoholics Anonymous because, you know, I'd rather look in, in the mirror at you than the magnifying glass at me. And I'll keep on looking, you know, in the mirror at you, you know, if I don't, if I don't take a good look at me through these steps. And, uh, you know, my, my, my dad wasn't there because he was working and you know what, I was really angry and I started taking it out of my mom because there was no way to stand up to my dad. You know, there was just no way to stand up to him, not even to talk back to him. When he came home, you know, I got whipped all the time because I was a bad boy. You know, you know and I took it out of my mom. You know, I physically pushed my mom around. I verbally abused the hell out of her. I took it out of my brother and I took it out of my sister and I took it out on, on my cousin who came to live with us because both her parents, you know, passed away and she was an orphan. And I didn't realize any of this stuff. You know, I was just a poor, unfortunate kid that had an Italian dad who wasn't American and blah, 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 blah. I mean, and that's okay when you're young, but you know, when you're 27 years old in the bar crying because your dad wasn't there, I mean, that's pretty sad, huh? But, you know, and, and we all have different stories. We all, you know, a lot of us blame it on this or blame it on that or blame it on her, or blame, you know my whole life was my problem and I was the creator of my own mess and, and I didn't want to take a look at that and that's why it took me so long in Alcoholics Anonymous to, you know, to, to even work any of these steps. You know, I came here because I was going to jail and um, long story short, because I don't want to get into it, um, the charges were dropped, miracle, because I should just be getting out of jail right now and um, I made a deal with God that I'd stay sober for a year. And, and I was going to stay sober for a year. And in the meantime, you know, when you're stuck someplace and if you sit around long enough, you know, you start hearing things. Or worse than that, you see people come in with less time than you and start getting busy in the format and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I started watching people come in. I'm, I'm sitting there with six months, and I see people come in, you know, and, and with two months, they already finished their fourth step. And you could already see that change. If you've been around here long enough, you know when somebody starts working the steps. You know when they start finding out what happened. You know when they start realizing that alcohol ain't their problem, that it probably started way back here. And, you know, I got sober with the Mucky Mucks in Orange County. You know, it's a really powerful group. And, uh, I mean, they were trudging the road of happy destiny, and I felt like I was in the Rose Parade. Because as they were trudging the road and doing all the work, I just hopped on their coattails, and as they scooted through Alcoholics Anonymous, I was... I... <laughs> Yeah, I look good, don't I? You know, question about the third step, ask him, uh, I'm busy. 
You know, and uh, see, after, after doing that for a while, see, see what happens is this, and this is just my opinion, and this is just what I think, but, you know, I, I watch so many people come and go out of Alcoholics Anonymous, and not ones that just, just are new, ones that, that are, you know, that have some time. You know, up in my area, we lost somebody with 17 years, 10 years, 13 years, and there was this gentleman who had 25 years, 25 years. Every time he walked into the meeting, he got called on, sponsoring a bunch of people, speaking all over the place. On Friday night, he shows up to the meeting, you know, Mr. Everything. On Saturday, the following week, he comes and he stands up as a newcomer. And you know what? And when he stood up as a newcomer, the whole room was shocked. And somebody went to him after the, after the meeting and says, my God, you had 25 years, 25 years of staying sober one day at a time. What happened? You know what he said? I'll never forget it. He looked at him and he says, you know what? I had too many years and not enough days. Alcoholics Anonymous is like riding a bike. If you stop pedaling, you're going to fall. Whether you've got 25 years in the bank or 25 days, the disease never quits. The disease never stops. I heard somebody share that I might be in a, in a meeting getting spiritual, but my disease is out in the parking lot doing push-ups, getting strong, waiting for me to have a, to have a, a crack in the armor. And, uh, you know, so, so my first year, what, what I did was I did all the meetings, you know, the big meetings. You know, the, the spiritual meetings, the, the heavy hitters, you know, and, and we say around here, you know, we should, we should do 90 meetings in 90 days. Well, I, I think that's great, but I, I think we ought to be on step three by the second month. Because, you know, if we, if we push the steps, I mean, I'm going to say something that's going to sound ridiculous and people might not agree with me, but for me, there's absolutely no recovery for me in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I hear your experience, I hear your strength, and I walk out willing to work that program like you did, I could recover too. I find comfort in meetings, I find safeness, I find my friend, and I'm friends and I made a family. But you know what, I'm not going to recover from alcoholism going to meetings because I'm hearing you share your recovery. Whether I do 90 meetings in 90 days or I do 2,000 meetings a year, I'm going to walk out hearing, but I, I'm not going to walk out feeling because I ain't doing the recovery part of the program. And I could even explain it a little bit easier. You know, um, say, say that, um, okay, we meet at Lucky John's Bar every Sunday night at 7 o'clock to get drunk. You know what? And uh, we, all, we all show up there and we, everybody's all dressed nice or whatever, you know what? And, and, uh, we, and we have, you know, all the alcohol on the wall, like we have the steps and the traditions behind us, and we just sit there and we talk about getting drunk. Yeah, well, when I, when I pick up that, that bottle and put it to my lips, I'm going to... We can go to 90 bars in 90 days. <laughs> I'm not going to get drunk unless I do what? I take the steps necessary to acquire the effect I'm looking for. And in this case, at Lucky John's on Sunday night, we're trying to get drunk, you know? And I can't get drunk because I ain't drinking, but I'm talking about drinking, but I can't. And it's, my, it's a bartender's fault, like it's my sponsor's fault, you know? <laughs> And it's the same thing, in, as stupid as that sounds, it's the same thing in Alcoholics Anonymous. So many people, I mean, wholeheartedly in good intentions come to Alcoholics Anonymous and maybe doing 12 meetings a week, but they ain't doing those steps. Or, or I'm doing 12 meetings a week, but I'm doing the speaker meetings, um, uh, the participation meetings, the sober dancers, AA poker, you know? <laughs> and I wonder why, and then after a while, you know what? 
I'm drunk because you know I ain't getting well. So, so my, my point is that's what I did. So, I, you know, a, after the after my first year in Alcoholics Anonymous, after I got that um, one year chip, you know, I was off. You know, and I started doing things my way. I started, you know, I got to speak and I got to sponsor people. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to, but you know, you can fool people around here if you really try hard. And uh, I know I got into a relationship, a good relationship with uh, my friend's wife, and um, <laughs> you know, I, don't want, I don't want to tell you that stuff, but you know what, I'm here to be real tonight, because you know, I don't want to entertain you, hopefully I can help somebody whose program's in neutral like mine was, and uh, you know, it was a secret, and it was a secret for a long time, and, and you know what, guess what, they found out, and when they, and when they found out, you know, all hell broke loose, and you know what, and I'm an idiot. And I kept on going to those meetings, and everybody would be talking behind my back. But, you know, I come from the streets. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to cry for them. You know, I go to those same meetings, those same people that I know are talking to me, talking about me, and I go up and just give them a great big AA hug. God, I love you. And I know just five minutes ago, you know, I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. I was wrong. You know, what, no matter what was going on in that marriage to justify it, and I was justifying it at the time because what was going on in that marriage, I had no business because she was a married woman. And uh, so, you know what, um, I had to fire my sponsor because, you know what, he wouldn't co-sign it. So I went from Orange County up to Covina and I got another sponsor. And you know what, he wouldn't co-sign it either, so I fired him. And you know what I did? I started sponsoring myself. I love sponsoring myself. That's, how many people here tonight are sponsoring themselves? Raise their hand. You see that? That's recovery right there because it takes a lot of nerve to raise your hand and say, you know what, I'm sponsoring myself. But that's what I was doing. I was sponsoring myself and I was sponsoring her because I'm a good sponsor. <laughs> you know, and I'm getting sick real slow one day at a time in recovery. And uh, you know what happened out of nowhere? Out of nowhere, you know, this great relationship, you know, out of nowhere. You know what happened? My higher power left just got up and left, and her name was Sherry, and uh, <laughs> that left me with me. And see, because I couldn't look at her, see, because, you know, I always get the damsels in distress so I could fix them, and if I fix them, they tell me how great I am, that I'm well, and I keep on controlling them, because I don't want to take a look at me. And so when she left, you know, and I was speaking, and I had all these babies, and I just couldn't, and I was falling apart. I was about ready to go drink. And I, and, I, and I had too much false pride to raise my hand and say, hey, my name's Giuseppe and uh, I'm full of crap. <laughs> so what, what, I, what I did was I figured that I'd have to find another higher power. So I started, I started reading the book to share better. Read the book, read the book. To work the steps? No, I got to share better. You know what? And then all of a sudden, now I'm the kind of guy, I know it was going to be down here in San Diego, but I'm the kind of guy that every single meeting I raise my hand. Every single meeting I share for 45 minutes, usually about the same thing, you know. And I start taking control of Alcoholics Anonymous. I become the AA police, you know. <laughs> Woo! Pull over. Let me see your sobriety chip. Who's your sponsor? You know? <laughs> and I and, and I want to control everything. I want to have steering committees, and I want to drive, you know. And and, and what I'm trying what, what I'm trying to do is is because I lost her one more time, I, you know. I'm back out there in reality, and, and I got to try to get two people to like me. And w and what the real problem is, if if I just learned to like me, then I'd stop wasting my time trying to get you to like me. 
You know, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm spinning my wheels, and that's not working, you know. So I figure, I, I go to the Joe and Charlie seminar, and I bought the tapes, and I listened to them for, you know, a week straight, and I had all the answers, right? I was so into alcoholism, so I was so in the book, not working any of the steps, just having the knowledge that I used to fly around the room like sponsor man. <laughs> Excuse me, you need to read page 31. Who the hell are you? Who am I? I'm sponsor man, that's right. And you get your newest, your newest baby to become tradition boy. That's right, sponsor man. Quit looking for a personality. You know and you're looking for a righteous woman, right? More faster than a bottle of tequila. More spiritual than six hits of acid. That's right, it's me, sponsor man. Excuse me, I heard you share last week that you're having a problem with your fourth step. Yeah, that's right. Well, hey, I had some time last night here. I wrote it for you. I have some time now. You can read it back to me and share and tell everybody how much I helped you because I want them to like me, don't you know? <laughs> and you know what? Sponsor men like me, a lot of us, you know, crash right into the wall or crash right through the bar. You know, and uh, through the grace of God, I started, I don't want to tell you this stuff. Come on, I want you to like me, you know? I remember when I helped Bill write the book. Come on. That was in my last life. I died with 27 years the first time. God sent me to help you guys. Send me back. You know? So that wasn't working either. So you know what I did? I started praying for a sponsor because I was ready to go drink. You know, I had four and a half years, three and a half years of sponsoring myself. You know, my first four step was on a matchbook cover. It just said, F you here. Um, <laughs> I started praying for a sponsor, and, and through the grace of God, after 30 days of praying, um, I, got a, I got a sponsor. I met him over a telephone call, and um, I talked to him for like about 30 minutes, and he says, you know, I want you to come down to my house. And that was the longest drive of my life. It was about a 30-minute drive. And I knocked on the door, and he opened it up, and I just said, beat me. I just don't want to drink. I never met this man before, never, except that phone call, and an hour later, I was at his house. And I'll tell you, I'm sicker than most. Not only did I get a sponsor that night, but I got a him and I got a her because his wife came along in the deal. And I call him mom and pop. And they had a little AA family for, you know, um, you know, we'd all go to meetings and get together and everything, but we'd have meetings at the house for, you know, issues you can't talk about in Alcoholics Anonymous or you're not, it's not safe to talk about. And um, I became a newcomer in Alcoholics Anonymous with four and a half years of sobriety. I just didn't have a drink, you know, had all the same rules as I would when I was new. No relationships for the first year. You call every night at 6.30. Not 6.29, not 6.31, 6.30. Learn responsibility. You come down here every Tuesday with your writing and we're going to walk through these steps. You know, and the, first, the thing that dominates my life the most automatically becomes my higher power. And I've got to get what's, what's wrong in my life, the predominant thing first before I can go on. And what I had to do was write about my higher power leaving. You know, and after I got done with that, then he says, well, before we go on, I want you to do a relationship, because I have trouble with relationships. I don't know why. Um, I, had to do, I had to do an inventory on in all my long-term relationships, like six months or better. And uh, no, that's not funny. If you're in six months, man, you're knee deep if you're like me. Come on. Uh, and you know what? I found a pattern. 
every single one of my long-term relationships was always exactly the same kind of girl. Different names, different features, but was always a damsel in distress looking for me to rescue them and fix them so I can run and control their life, so they can tell me how wonderful I am, so I can think I'm okay. All of them. I don't know why they're not to do that. You know? And that was like, wow. And after we did that, then I had to do an inventory. And you know, I already, you know, I did an Alcoholics Anonymous inventory. And you know, and, you know, the, well, you know, on the fifth column, you know, what part does it affect? My self-esteem. My self-esteem. My, I had to do an inventory on self-esteem. You know, and after I got done with that, I had to do an inventory, my life story. You know, from my first inventory was from one to five years old, from five to ten. And you know, what? I had writer's cramps. And you know, you know what I found out with my four and a half years of sobriety, the reason why I couldn't work a four step before? Because the four step is not the hardest step to work here, it's the third step. The reason I couldn't do a fourth and fifth or go on with the rest of the steps is because I wasn't working the third step. You know what? So what I did was, you know, because if, if, if I make a, a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand them, then I ain't walking through that stuff alone. And a lot of that stuff I did, I could still go to jail for. So, I mean, and a lot of that stuff I didn't want to take a look at. That's why I drank the way I drank, because I was an animal. That's why I drank the way I drank, because I did things to people that it was inhuman. You know, I, was, I, was, I grew up in the streets, you know. And... Uh, so what I did was, was step one, two, and three when I reworked them again and I found out that steps one, two, and three are specifically designed to help me find a power greater than myself. When I find that power, then I make a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of that God. See, I'm just going to talk out of school here. Um, see, Alcoholics Anonymous works just fine. But you know, there's sick people like me who, who like to make up rules. See, you gave me a God, you said, you have to find a, a God of your own understanding. I found one of my own understanding, you know, and I'm having sex with this girl in the back of her, the car, and, and this is the same one, my higher power, and she goes, don't you think God's going to be mad at us? And I says, oh no, we're doing this sober. And I, and I really believe that that was okay. You know, and then I also used to use those two um, get out slogans. Like, why did you do that? Oh, it's my alcoholic thinking. You know, it's a disease. It's not neither one of those. It's my unwillingness to change one more time and to find something else to blame it on. All the time. Oh, that's my alcoholism. That's why I did that. It ain't my alcoholism. I wasn't drinking. How could it be my alcoholism? So I made a, made a decision, you know, to do this third step, and, and, you know, and, and, I, and I had to get rid of that old higher power, and then I found a new one, you know, and, and uh, that, that higher power had rules, you know, and, and my higher power today is Jesus Christ, and, and I, I know this isn't religious, this isn't a religious program, this is spiritual, but, and I'm just going to leave it at that, I don't want to offend anybody by the J word, but I'd really rather offend you than him, and that's all I have to say about that, like Forrest Gump. So I found a higher power, right? <laughs> And what I did was I got busy on my fourth step. And what I did was I got in my room and I got a chair for me and I got a chair for God. And I got on my knees and I said, Dear God, you know, I invite you into this room. I invite you into this chair. Please help me get this cancer out because I'm ready to drink. I got to get it out. And I'm, I'm, I'm scared. You know, and God showed up because I asked him to. So I started doing this fourth step. I became the doctor and I became the patient. I had to open myself, take that cancer out, which has been running and controlling my whole life, even before I was drinking. Put it on paper. My guy sweat in the middle of July, and uh, I said I didn't want to read. He goes, "No, really, what's up?" And I says, "You know, because I don't know how to read." And he looked at me and he goes, "You don't know how to read?" And I says, "No." 
He says, did you go to school? And I says, yeah, I graduated from high school. Can't even spell high school. I learned how to sell drugs in high school and be a tough guy. He says, well, we're going to send you to college. You have too many court cases right now. Anyway, you can't get a job. I said, I ain't going to school. He says, yes, you are. I says, I don't know how to go to school. He says, yes, you do. And I says, how? He says, go get in the car. <laughs> so I'm sitting in college with a gangster hat and a trench coat. Because <laughs> I'm really scared now. And I had seen something on TV about dyslexia. So I told the teacher, you know, dyslexia is when you, when you, you turn things around or you skip a couple of paragraphs or you lose your spot. And I told her, she goes, well, I'll have to take you down and go get tested. So I took this great big three-hour test and she goes, come back the next day. And she goes, I come back the next day. She goes, I have some good news and some bad news. I said, what's the good news? She goes, you're a very, very, very intelligent person. I said, and tell those Alcoholics Anonymous people that, please. And I go, what's the bad news? She goes, well, you have a severe case of dyslexia coupled with a learning disability. I says, what does that mean? She goes, well, your brain's different. I said, you've been talking to my sponsor, huh? I don't think that's funny. So anyway, so she, I go, what do you mean my brain's different? She goes, people that don't have dyslexia and couple with a learning disability, they see something, they hear something, it goes to a little storage spot and back to the brain with these wires, so when you want to remember what the letter A sounds like, you call it and it comes out of that like a computer. And, I, and she goes, your wires are loose. <laughs> and so anyway, she sent me to a special class to learn how to read. So I graduated from college with a 4.0 grade average. <laughs> I only took one class, but I got an A. The poor card said 4.0. Hey, I had to go get a job, man. I had to make some money, you know. But I learned how to read, and finding out that day in that class that I was not stupid my whole life like I thought I was was the best news I ever got. Besides, that I'm an alcoholic of an incurable disease and 12 steps, a higher power program, and people like you, I don't have to drink one day at a time for the rest of my life. I learned how to read. And uh, we'll chase it back to my fourth step. I'm doing my four step and I'm becoming the doctor and the patient, you know, and uh, I'm taking the stuff out that I don't remember and I'm starting to feel. And uh, I, I, I told you I found out exactly when I became an alcoholic to the day. You know, when I went to kindergarten, it was great. New games, new toys, new friends. Loved it. First grade. What do they introduce in first grade? Reading, writing, arithmetic. Here's little Joey in class, six years old, first grade. You know, they don't know he has dyslexia. They don't know he has a learning disability. What is he? The problem child, right? The class clown. You know, I'm in a slow reading class. People are making fun of me. You know, so after the first couple of months of school, you know, I told my mom, I'm the short fat kid everybody used to pick on. My dad's not around. All this emotional stuff. I tell my mom, Mom, I'm not going to school no more. She goes, why not, honey? I said, because they make fun of me and I can't do it. And she goes, ask the teacher for help. That's what she's there for. So this little six-year-old takes this wonderful advice because he wants to be just like everybody else. He doesn't want to make fun of them. He doesn't want to be in this stupid reading class. So, and, I, and I totally blocked this out. See, this is why I drank, to keep that stuff down there. And now, you know, I've become the doctor and the patient, and it's, this cancer's coming out. The stuff that's been controlling my life. And uh, so I take this advice from my mom. I go to school the next day. I raise my hand because I don't understand. I'm in the front row. Teacher comes up. She goes, okay, do this, 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 and this. She leaves. I got a wire loose. I got dyslexia. I don't get it. I want to participate. I raise my hand again because I want to be like you guys. She comes over. 
to this, 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 and this. Long story short, after three or four times of raising my hand, she thinks I'm being a smart ass. She runs over to my desk. She yanks the book out of my hand. She whacks me on the head and says, get the hell out of my classroom. This is a six-year-old following mom's advice. This is a six-year-old that, that, that wants to be a part of. This is a six-year-old with a bump on the head, 30 kids laughing at him, and he's outside the door, bad around, looking in at them. Guess what? I became an alcoholic that day outside that classroom. Because if I would have known that if I would have went to the liquor store and got a half pint and drank that thing, I would have had enough courage to walk right back in that classroom, pull her wig off, and kick her ass, I would have done it. But I didn't know that yet. See, and I'm a six-year-old, and I'm out there making adult decisions. These are my character defects because I'm doing my fourth step and my fifth step on finding out where they came from. I will never, ever ask for help again. Nobody will ever, ever make fun of me. I will never, ever try to learn again. How do you go to school for eight hours a day and face that and think you're going to come out with anything but a, but a degree in drug sales, a degree in the class clown, a de degree in a tough guy? And I was a short, fat kid that everybody used to pick on. And in the fifth grade, I broke, in the fifth grade, I broke out with the most massive case of pimples from the stress and the trauma that you've ever seen. Face, back, arms. So now I'm the short, fat, cross-sided, pimple-faced, crater-faced, little brat that can't read or spell. And then, you know what, something magical happened. And they used to steal my lunch money, too. <laughs> I don't think that's funny. You hard this. I almost said it. So something magical happened from sixth grade to seventh grade. That summer, I grew six inches. That summer was the year the Godfather came out. And then it was my turn to go back and, you know, and buy off. And also remember that spicy meatball commercial? Everybody wanted to be Italian, and, and that was the thing. And I was six inches taller, you know, and I was Italian. I started my first gang, JM, Junior Mafia. You know, and I used to walk around like the Godfather. No, the last time you offered to do my homework. If so, this kid who stole your lunch money would be suffering this very minute. You know what's funny about that? I found, I found that, see, and I haven't had a drink yet, but I found something to plug into. Before I found alcohol and drugs, I told you alcohol and drugs ain't my problem. Being a gangster was my first problem, or wanting to be one. I plugged into that image so I could hide behind it. See, and when you act crazy and you scare people and you do stupid stuff like make bombs in electronics class, you know, and you fight everybody, people stay away from you. And, and that's Italians call that respect. It's just really stupidity because if they were stupid enough to believe that I was that crazy, they're stupid in the first place. You know, and, for, and where I found that identity, I, I, I brought that all the way in the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous at 27 years old wearing a gangster hat and a trench coat in the middle, middle of July. And that's where my problems were. And, that's where, and, and I found my character defects. And, and I found out what I did to my mom. And I found out what I did to my sister. And I found out what I did to my brother. Because I had to do an inventory on all of them individually. And you know, that was tough. That, you know, that's tough. But you know, that only lasted about six months. And you know what? I got to make amends to my brother. I got to make amends to my mother and father. My sister in 1983 got hit by a car before I even got sober. It was right in the middle of my disease. And I didn't know how I could make amends to her. And I totally stuffed, that one was stuffed down too because I was a bad brother. All she wanted to do was be with her big shot brother and all I did was push her away. 
And when I finally had to do an inventory on my sister, I wrote two pages and I wasn't connected to it at all. I didn't feel nothing, just the facts, just the facts. So I called my sponsors and Mama answered the phone and I said, Mama, I go, I feel like an animal. She goes, what's the matter, honey? I go, I just did an assignment about my sister you had me do it and I don't feel anything. I don't feel anything. She goes, that's okay, honey. That's natural. I go, what do you mean? She goes, I want you to tear it up and I want you to start again and at the top of the page I want you to put, Dear God, I am pissed off at you for taking my sister. I go, I'm not mad at God. She goes, just do what I'm telling you. So I hung up the phone and I wrote it out and I was blaming God, blaming God and then the dam of emotion opened up and I was blaming me. And I was back in 1983 when it happened because when it happened I locked myself in the room and I drank and I used for two weeks straight and I, w and I could feel it. I was right, emotional mess. And I, and I picked it up and, and I went to the meeting. We had a Saturday morning meeting that we all used to go to and I burst in there and said, pop, pop, and I'm crying like a baby in front of everybody and I don't care because I can't stop it. And me and pop went to his house and you know what, and, and after I, I dumped the first bit of cancer and pain, he had me go in the fifth step room and write again, you know, to, 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 to dump some more. And then he says, look it, I want you to go to this. I want you to go home, and I want you to get a piece of paper tomorrow. He goes, right now you just need to feel it because you've had it stuffed for so long. You need to feel it. And he says, I want you to write a goodbye letter to your sister. You tell her you're sober. Tell her, tell her what's been going on in your life, and tell her that you were sick and you didn't know any better. And I says, Pop, I'm not going to write a goodbye letter. I'll write, I'll see you later letter, letter because hopefully I get to see her again. And that's what I did. I wrote this letter, and I got some flowers, and I went to the cemetery. And I read it to her and I told her that I was an alcoholic and a drug addict and I didn't know and, I, and, and I'm sorry I punished her and you know what, and, and every, I told her I, you know, that I was a roofer and, and I don't sell drugs, just like if I was talking to her. And you know what, after I was done, I got that, I got that letter and I folded it up with the flowers and, and I put it you know, in the little hole and I walked away 99% free. But you see, sometimes I take it back. I give it to God, but I take it back. That 1% was stopping me from having my miracle. And thank God for God because I was in a meeting. So I'm thinking, I go, did, did God really let her hear it? You know, was she able to hear it? What really went on? Because I'm a doubter. You know, so I'm sitting in a meeting and I hear this story. This lady shares about her dad dying and her dad never got to see us sober, just like my sister never got to see me sober. And after she shares that and she's crying and everything, this gentleman shares this story that I'm going to share with you right now. And he was sharing it to her, but God had him share it so I could hear it. And this is what he said. He was talking about there was this kid on the football team, third string. Didn't have no business being on the team. He wasn't a football player, but he had a heart. Everybody liked him, so they let him stay on the team. Anyway, it was homecoming week. You know, the biggest game of the year is coming up. And right in the middle of that, his father died. So he got dismissed from school and practice, you know, to deal with the funeral and everything. When he came back, he came back the day of the game. Now, as soon as the game started, it's a homecoming game, you know, it's full. The stands are full. He says, coach, 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 you got to put me in, you got to put me in. He goes, just relax, you know, I know you've been through a lot, this is a big game. Anyway, long story short, at halftime they were losing 42 to nothing. So the kid, coach, coach, please put me in. So he goes, oh, what the heck, he puts him in. The very first play, this third string player had no business being a football player. He tackles the quarterback, picks up the ball, runs for a touchdown. He did this, he did that. This kid won that game single-handedly. And after the game, the coach pulled him aside in the locker room and he goes, son, my God, I can't believe how good you are. Why didn't you always play like that? And he goes, well, coach, my dad's watching me. He goes, what do you mean your dad's watching you? I thought your dad died. He goes, my dad did die, but my dad was born blind, and I know now God gave him his eyes so he could see. Just like my sister could see because I was willing to walk through the pain and do it. 
And, and the little things, you know what? The little things that how God has changed my life. Um, when I had four days sober, you know, this this guy tells me, you know, I'm my tough guy, I had my tough guy, he goes, hey, sport, call me sport, hey, sport, come here, I want to talk to you. He said, tough guy's like, you don't make it around here. I said, what are you talking about, old man, because i got to be an idiot. He says, you know, I'll make you a deal. He says, if you can name me one problem you could solve that will go away, that you'll never have to deal with again by drinking or using drugs, you let me know, I'll go out and drink with you. I went home and I thought and I thought because I wanted to drink with him so bad he had 20 years. <laughs> and to this day, almost 12 years later, more than 12 years later, I haven't found one problem that I could solve that will go away that I'll never have to deal with again by leaving Alcoholics Anonymous and taking another drink. See, he told me that when I had four days because I needed that seed planted then because you know, in my seventh year of sobriety, when everything's supposed to be great, see, life goes on. If we're, if, we're, if we're prepared to handle it, then it ain't a big deal. But if we're not, it's a big deal. And uh, in, in between my seventh and eighth year of sobriety, this is what happened in my life in a 15-month period. First of all, I found out I was a diabetic. I almost died because I didn't know I had it from all the drug abuse. Um, my mom got lung cancer. She fought it for a year, chemo, lost her hair, medicine, all that stuff. She went to the doctor in November. The doctor said she was fine. We had a great big family Christmas in December to celebrate the good news. She went to the doctors in March. She never came home. 30 days after my mom died, my dad, the rock of my life, 60 years old, looked like he was 40, working out every day, got prostate cancer. 30 days later, I watched him shrivel up like a raisin and die. Mom and Pop, my sponsors, or my second set of parents, moved to Indiana, so I lost four parents in 15 months. I got out of a two-year relationship. My brother was in a motorcycle accident, and my dog got cancer. And I'll tell you right now, there wasn't one problem after all that stuff that I could have solved that would have went away by drinking or using drugs. He told me that in 1987. This is 1999. If there's anybody in this room that can name me one problem that you could solve that will go away by leaving Alcoholics Anonymous and drinking and using, you call me. My telephone number is 323-728-7776. You find out, you find us one that you could solve, I will pick you up in a limousine, we'll drive by this meeting on a Sunday night, tip our hats, and drugs and alcohols on me on the way to Vegas. <laughs> See, I say it all the time, but you know, nobody calls and people go out. And there ain't one problem I could solve by drinking or using. And during that fourth step, you know, you know, when it came to my amends, I got to make amends to my mom. I got to make amends to my dad. You know, my dad, my whole life, he was, I was just looking for a data boy. I'm proud of you. You know, he didn't know how to do it. You know why he didn't know how to do it? I was so pissed off at him because I wanted him to be American. You know what? His dad didn't teach him how to be American. His dad never taught him to say, I love you. His dad never showed him, so how could he show me? See, my dad didn't have to change. I did. My dad never came to Emotional Anonymous, found a sponsor, hired power, and went back there. I did. And I got to go to Italy with my dad to see where he came from, and then I really felt like a piece of crap. And my whole life, I'm looking for a dad a boy. I love you. And my dad is getting sick. My, my dad had to have dinner every night at 4.30. My mom had to cook for him every single night. And when my mom died, my dad started cooking. 
I need to eat every night at 4.30 and then I'm, I'm a routine contractor. And he started cooking for me. We started getting a relationship through the glory of Alcoholics Anonymous because I worked the steps. And my, I, I'd get home sometimes at 8 o'clock. My dad would be walking around like this outside because he's starving, right? And I'm not home yet. <laughs> and he made dinner for me every night. He made, I, got a, I got a relationship with my dad when I didn't expect it. You know what? My dad never told me he loved me, never told me he was proud of me. And you know what? At my mom's funeral, they had a delicatessen in Montebello, and, and I know a lot of people. My brother knows a lot of people. There was like 1,500 people there. And the priest said, somebody's got to do the eulogy. And I spoke all the time, so I'll, I'll do it. I said the same prayer I said every night. Take the words out of my mouth, put the words somebody needs to hear. And after I was done eulogizing my mom in front of all these people, I started walking down the steps. My dad, my dad, because of what you guys taught me how to suit up and show up and do it. Got up in front of everybody, met me at the steps, and gave me a hug and says, I love you, I'm proud of you. I got that from Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I started this thing in California, in, in LA, about, it's called the Sober Fun Line. It's a place you can call to find out where dances are and stuff like that and stuff to do in recovery. And I got like 15,000 babies, and my dad sees all these phone calls, all this mail from alcoholics, all these people coming over. And this is the biggest kick. My friend calls my, my dad because he doesn't have my number anymore, and he says, hey, Gino, he says, look, it, I got this guy at work. He's drinking too much. Maybe Joey could help him. So my dad gives him the number, so he calls me, and, and his name's Carmel. He goes, he, he goes, Joey, he goes, hey, I was talking to your dad about this guy who drinks too much, and, and uh, I was telling your dad, and, and your, your dad says, oh, because he sees all this stuff going on at my house with alcoholics anonymous. My dad tells me, he goes, oh, this is a guy, he's a drinker too much, don't worry. My son is Joey, he's at the big boss of AA now. <laughs> I'm not even going to tell you what that means in Italian because I can't take it right now. But my whole point is this, if you're new, if you're fairly new or you're fairly old, you know what? Alcoholics Anonymous cannot, will not, absolutely won't fail. Go to 90 meetings in 90 days. Go to a meeting every day, but, you know, work the steps and then give it away to somebody else so you can keep it. Because, if, you know, if I didn't do that sooner or later, I would have been long gone. Now, I'm out of time, so I'm going to tell you one story before I sit down. I have two movies that are my favorite of all time. One of them is The Godfather. Yeah, right. And one of them is The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> I was watching this Wizard of Oz movie one day, and I watched it again, then I watched it again because, you know, I, I started seeing Alcoholics Anonymous all through this movie. Now, I don't know about you, but it makes sense to me. I think somebody read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and then wrote the movie The Wizard of Oz. Because listen to this. In 1939, the big book came out. In 1939, The Wizard of Oz came out. How does this movie start off? It's all in black and white. That's how my life was before God sent me to you, right? Now, the story's about some little alcoholic named Dorothy, right? <laughs> you know, she's having a big problem. They're having a big intervention for her in the living room, trying to take away the most important thing in her life. What was that most important thing? What the hell was Toto? A short dog? I don't know. <laughs> so she says, you know, she takes her will and her life in her own hands, and she says, you know what, I'm out of here. Sound familiar? She starts heading down that dirt road. Now... Who's the first person she meets? The professor. Who the hell is this untreated Al-Anon? He's looking at his Al-Anon crystal ball saying, Annie M is sick and dying and it's all your fault, you damn alcoholic. He puts an Al-Anon an Al not working their program guilt trip on her. So, it's right in the movie, he sends her right back where she came from, right? Taking a trip, not taking a trip. 
Now, they don't show this in the movie because of the kids, but you know she stopped at the bar for a couple of short dogs or two before she went to face them, right? And right after she's drunk, well, here's the next scene. It's just right out of the book. The alcoholics like the tornado ripping through the lives of their loved ones. It's right in the book. She's drunk. Now, they're all having an Al-Anon meeting down in the cellar. She's trying to get in. Let me in. I'm like, go to a meeting, you drunk. Call your sponsor. So she goes in the house and she bumps her head and goes into a blackout. <laughs> oh, no, no, it gets better. She's on the bed with what, Alkies? The spins. Trying to put one foot down to stop the madness. Now, when she wakes up, she's right in the middle of that tornado, the wreckage of her life. She's looking out the window, seeing everybody she hurt. N.E.M., the farmer, step seven, they can't do it. Who's the last person she sees in that tornado? Herself, the wicked witch of the east. That's just her after a couple of short dogs or two. <laughs> now, when she lands, you know she lands in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous because all of a sudden it's all in color and they're all happy, joyous, and free. And being the good meeting that it is, they get her a sponsor, which is Glenda, the good witch of the north, right? And what's the first thing she asks her sponsor? Are you a good witch or a bad witch? I'm not a witch at all, denial. <laughs> now she wants to get back home because she's sorry and she wants to make amends but she doesn't know how so she says what do I do she says well you gotta find a higher power a higher power what's that well we use the wizard how do I do this she goes well you gotta follow the yellow brick road trudge your own happy destiny sound familiar she goes well how do I do that she says it in the movie read it she says it's always best to start from the beginning that's just step one isn't it so she starts heading for the, for the Emerald City, which is really the promises on page 83 in disguise. Now, who's the first person she meets? Some newcomer without a brain. I don't know about you. I always had a brain. I just never knew how to use it until God sent me to you, and you sent me to go trudge that road and work those steps. So these two hook up, I guess where two or more gathered, there he'll be, right? So they're trudging the yellow brick road, heading for the Emerald City, which is really the promises in disguise. Who's the next person they meet? The Tin Man. Some guy without a heart. I don't know about you. I always thought I knew what love was, and it wasn't in between the sheets, but when you guys sent me to trudge that road and work those steps, I found out what real love is. So these three hook up, heading for the promises. And I guess they're coming up on 30 days because they're going to that spooky forest, right? <laughs> Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. But the real song was pot and pills and booze, oh no. And they're all about ready to, to get drunk, but what happens? They meet the newest newcomer of them all. Some guy didn't have any courage to stay sober. They had to stay sober for him. And I'll tell you what, I thought I knew what courage was, gunning and running, running and shooting people up. But you guys taught me what real courage was by sending me to that, rudge, that, that road to trudge those steps and work it and find out what was really going on. So, they hook up. They're heading for the promises, the Emerald City. They could see it. It's right there. They're probably on step seven. There's only one problem. What's between them and the Emerald City? Poppies, so they make heroin out of. What wakes them up? A little snow? I don't know. Got a monkey on your back, Scarecrow? And how about that curtain patrol music? No, 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 no. I know the cops are out there, right? <laughs> Finally, they get to the promises, the Emerald City, and now they meet the person that I love the most, and that's the wizard. And who the hell is this wizard? Some guy wearing a gangster hat and a trench coat, hiding behind the curtain, pretending to be something he's not out here. I love him. 
And at the end, at the end of the movie, she finally calls her sponsor, stupid. She called a lot earlier. She got some help. And when her sponsor comes, what does she tell her? Honey, you've always had the power to go home. What do you mean I've had the power to go home? In those ruby red slippers, and inside those slippers were her feet, where she took the steps. See, and in 1939, the very first big book of Alcoholics Anonymous was not blue. This is a replica. It was ruby red. And inside this book are the steps that she took to recover. Now, by the way, how does she get home? Click your heels how many times? Three. Step one. Step two. Step three. God could and would if he were sought. And when she believes in that, she's sent home and, and her family's restored and she's in that room loving them and, she, and they're loving her. And what does she say? The best part of the movie. You know what? There's no place like home. There's no place like home. And this is my home and I'm never ever leaving you again. And all I can tell you is this is that, you know what, for me, there's no place like home. This is my home, and you are my family, and I'm never, ever leaving. Thanks for having me.